This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app. Jump on your smart trainer and jump into Zwift. Closer or welcome. So, G, how is the off-season treating you? I saw that you posted a video of you riding a bike in the Maldives on holiday. It looked to me like Max had dropped you uh, and you were trying to get Saar to bridge you across to Max, but he was just disappearing into distance. Yeah, he was uh, Oh, he was loving it, flying around the little island on his, on his little bike. And, you know, like in the Maldives when you get those um, overwater villa things? Yeah, Bob Villas. We weren't staying in one of them, but um, we were riding around, and he wanted to obviously go on that, but it's got no sides to it. So I was like, "Wow, well, I can't really stay on my bike now." And in case he, you know, decides, well, wobbles off and ends up going into the sea, you know. So <clears throat> I left my bike on the side and run alongside him. But it's, he goes pretty quick now, and um, it was a bit nerve wracking. He had a few wobbles. And he was veering towards like the, well, the sea, but um, no, he was good. He stayed on and uh, quite a few people were, you know, when you're over there, you have like a little concierge sort of yeah. person that sort of helps you out with everything. And um, he he went past in his golf buggy once as we were riding along and he was filming it. Then you could hear him telling the people he was with, oh, he's, yeah, he's only just turned three and blah, blah, blah. Like he sounded like a proud dad. So, <laughs> but um, no, he was, and Max actually uh, swam for the first time. Did he? Big trip. Yeah, yeah. Well, I say, yeah, he swims a bit like my dad. He he managed to get a couple of inches without drowning. He got to the wall, basically. So that was, yeah, I was proud. It was weird. It was funny. But uh, I let him, you know, I was there to catch him because he was sort of dipping down a bit and then he come back up and, you know, it was one of them, like, proper doggy paddle. But, um, yeah, he swam a few inches and we made a fuss of it and then that's all he wanted to do then for the next, like, two hours. Good lad. Just jump in and swim, yeah. What sort of rider is he um, Is he shaping up to be, do you think? Is he going to be a GC contender? Is he going to be a one-day classics man? <laughs> uh, uh, he's got a good work ethic. He enjoys it. He always gets me to try and do an extra loop. Or um, like if we rode to some restaurant for food, he'd be like, no, dad, extra loop, extra loop. So then, yeah, we'd you know why he's saying that? Further. It's because he's seen the weight you've put on the off-season. He's thinking dad needs an extra lap here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one one day actually, if he had a little nap because he was just full gas every day was just full gas. So luckily he had like about an hour's nap, and um, me and Sarge just started playing pool. And then these kids come over. They was like the oldest was like eleven, and um, he wanted to play. So we were like, oh, you can play the winner. And Sar beat me. I don't know how that happened actually, but Sar won. And then I knew she would be like so she'd take it so seriously because. Well, she's quite competitive as well, Sarah. And especially playing an 11-year-old kid, she definitely didn't want to lose that. Then all these other kids start turning up, you know, ranging from like five to eight, all crowded rounds watching the, what was his name? River. River, this kid was called. But he was a bit of a whiz on the old uh, snooker table as well. So I started calling him Ronnie. So I think Sarah did actually beat him. It came down to the black though. Both of them were on black. So <laughs> it was a tense game, yeah. And then um, there was a uh, table tennis table next to the pool table as well so then i played him in table tennis and he thrashed me about 21 points to three i think it was sounds like a legend it was embarrassing tom it was embarrassing yeah well it's been a very good couple of weeks for sar because am i right in thinking she even at the age of 32 she was still able to celebrate her 30th birthday the other weekend (laughs) yeah so we had this big party planned for a for a 30th obviously but then covid happened it got postponed and then you know what it's like you're like ah it was postponed, so let's get a few extra, pay for a few extra things. Uh, so then the following year, when she was 31, it was around Christmas time that we organised it for, because we had a St. Judrick's, our wedding place, and it's hard to get a date, Tom. So went for Christmas time. Then obviously it was another lockdown then. So this was third time lucky, and she was 32. But, you know, we thought we still got to go ahead with it. And, uh, oh, it was a great, great day. But then I got sent these pictures. So we had three rooms basically made into you know escape rooms have you ever done yeah, one I so the quality aren't they and Sarah loves them so we were like oh we're gonna have three different rooms that people have to go in and solve the clues and get out the rooms to make it into the party we had all this set up and then the morning of the party 
I got sent through a picture of like this elephant and a tiger. Ooh. Obviously fake, not, not real elephants. But I was like, what the hell is that? I was like, did I actually say I wanted that? <laughs> and, uh, um, but that was one of the themes in the room was like a Jumanji room. And then I tweeted, I was like, oh yeah, actually, yeah, I do remember this conversation. But um, so it was one of them. It was like all a surprise to me as well, to be honest, because Saar didn't want to know too much. So it was kind of left it to me. And whew, it was, I was a bit tense, not going to lie. Go in there thinking, what, what is this actually going to look like? Is Saar going to like it? That was quality. We had a good band. And then your mate from uh, one of your other podcasts, well, you've retired from it now, haven't you? But Chris Stark came along to DJ at the end and that was, Oh, that was a great way to end the, the party. It was quality. So, yeah, he was my mole on the night. Um, I'm just <laughs> looking at the text messages he was sending me. <laughs> he was slightly surprised um, at your choice of wedding song, which uh, for the people who weren't there is Eminem and Rihanna, Love the Way You Lie. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that wasn't our first dance type of song. Oh, that I would be it was quite dark for a first dance. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so just a quick explanation. Basically, at our wedding, um, the bridesmaids rewrote one of the Spice Girls song and they performed it, and um, yeah, made you know new lyrics and stuff. And it, it was quality, to be fair. But then after they had done that, a lot of them knew that Sarah knew all the words to this Eminem song with Rihanna, "Love the Way You Lie." So they were like, "Oh, Sarah, go and do your, go and do your rap." So then she was like, "Oh, okay." So we got up, I did the Rihanna bit, so I did the Eminem bit. Oh. And that's what we did at our wedding. And then obviously then at a party last week, one of the girls went up to Chris was like, oh, you got to play Love the Way the You Lie. It's like their wedding song. And he was like, what? Like, you see, like, it's a bit, it's like about domestic abuse and, you know, it's pretty dark. Like, But they were like, no, 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 just do it. Trust me. So then he puts it on and so I was like, oh, okay, sweet. Goes up and just, uh, yeah, rap the whole song. And I think, yeah. Chris was pretty surprised, but um, no, it was a quality, quality night. He, yeah, he definitely kept that party going. Nice. Well, listen, so our happy birthday, um, even if it was two years ago. In the meantime, G, we probably need to a brief bit of cycling chat on your cycling show. Um, the Tour de France route for 2023 has come out. Now, ordinarily, discussions about routes are very much around sort of summit finishes, blah, 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 blah. But you could be riding this race, depending on what happens next year. So is it a G-friendly route or a G-not-friendly route? Um, to be honest, I haven't really looked at it. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I just read the script 10 minutes before we jumped on this podcast and I was like, oh, I haven't as actually, always. yeah, I was like, oh, I haven't actually uh, looked at it because I've been away, haven't I? Like I've, I've had a proper break. I've stayed away from everything, you know, so. Well, let me help you out. So Sam Hudson, who is on the GTCC Facebook group, he has called it as a climbers tour um, because there is only 22 kilometers of individual time trialing, which must be the lowest for a long, long time. And ordinarily, I think of time trials as favoring you. But the problem with the people you're up against these days is they can do everything. So <laughs> yeah, go yeah. on the basis of the people who finished, the two people who finished above you in this year's edition of the tour. Um, the more time trialing, the better for both Jonas Vinegard and Tage Pugacar as well. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, as you say, for those pair, it doesn't really matter what it is really, does it? I did see a brief, you know, map of it. And it is strange because it's kind of like normally there are, you go to the north a bit, don't you? And you go right down south. And obviously you're still in the Pyrenees and the Alps, but it, it was, yeah, it was a, it's a strange, uh, well, it's different, that's for sure. But um, it's still going to be, I think it's going to lend itself well to the type of racing there was this year. In that, you know, it's going to be aggressive and they're really punchy racing sort of stages. So um, that that's definitely going to, well, that's not going to change. So it's still going to be exciting. But yeah, one of one other thing I want to add, not not about the tour, but um, we had our end of season awards dinner, Tom, just before we went to the Maldives. Oh, the night before actually. So I had to try and keep a lid on how much I drunk because, <laughs> yeah, at Maldives flying out there with a three year old was always going to be a challenge. It was good to be fair. But anyway, yeah, we had our awards and I I won two awards, Tom. Did you? Which I was pleasantly surprised about. Yeah. Give me the name of these awards. Uh, best podcaster on the team or did Luke win that one <laughs> no they didn't actually have that award but I'm sure we can bring that in next year if I don't have such a good year on the bike but it was oh it was performance of the year which I won for the tour which I was quite surprised about because I voted for Dylan for that for his Roubaix win yeah we'll have to get Dylan on in a future episode good shout 
And uh, and Garner, I thought maybe might have won it for his hour record because that was insane. Maybe Pidcock for Updoers as well. Yeah, yeah. Nah. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was obviously a good performance, but um, yeah, I think the other two were were, were better than that one. Oh, they, they're all good. Uh, you know, it's like saying it's like choosing over your kids, isn't it? Who's your favourite kid, Tom? Well, I've got no, I haven't got a favourite kid before they <laughs> kick off. I'm always. What was your second award? <laughs> Uh, rider of the year well those are the two biggies aren't they yeah yeah so as I said it, and all the riders and the staff vote for it so it's a nice one to win because it's kind of like why well, it's the people you're with every day you know so yeah that was a nice way that was as I said surprising and nice way to jet off to the Maldives with the the prizes a pair of handlebars so luckily Which I, you've we got were plenty in Nice of. so <laughs> yeah but yeah it was a nice way to end the year there's so many oh you should have seen the at the end of the night, there were so many bodies like just hanging. Like, oh, I would not. I would like to have seen most of them the next day. Who was the worst uh, drinker? Oh, um, what's his name? Leo Hater got carried off quite early. Oh, he's a young boy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but some of the young guys, like Josh Tarlin, the Welsh lad, they they did well. To be fair, it was a good sort of uh, welcome into the team for those boys. So I think they had. Oh, and there was also um, Pauline, a mountain biker. Um, yeah. she's obviously joined in the arse now as well so as like the off-road part of the team a French French girl and um, I think she's four she won four world titles this year which is a bit yeah. mad but Tom she can drink like can she she'd put away a lot of uh, guys in the team to be fair see that's mountain bikers for you they're tough yeah but it was a good night it was good uh, good bonding for everyone Everyone had their shirts off at the end, just sweating. Oh, it was so hot in there. It was like, it wasn't pretty. Like, if you had been totally sober there, you would have been like, what? What is this? <laughs> but good night. Let's get a guest done. Let's do it. Gee, I'm pleased to say we've got a very exciting offer for listeners of the GTCC, courtesy of one of the sponsors of this episode, Ruler Live. Ruler Live is the world's premier cycling event. Me and G went to it last year and we had a very good night out afterwards, didn't we, G? Well, I think it was before, actually, Tom, which I think was our big mistake. Yeah, we were live on stage very early in the morning, weren't we, Garen, after a late night the night before. But it was a lot of fun. Um, we had an amazing time. We got to meet some of our listeners. We got to talk about the night out and other things. And this year, Ruler Live is going to be held at the Truman Brewery in London from the 3rd to the 5th of November. As before, they've got a star-studded lineup of guest speakers and over 50 of the best cycling brands all under one roof. There will be friends of the pod, Fabian Cancellara and Tom Boonen, as well as Lachlan Morton and many more. Just search for Ruler Live or Ruler.cc to find out more and book your tickets. Plus, Ruler are offering GTCC members, i.e. you listening right now, a two-for-one ticket offer. Just go to ruler.cc and enter the code GTCC two for one at checkout. That's GTCC and the numbers two for one. Ruler Live starts this week. Tickets for Thursday are already sold out, but make sure you take advantage of the two-for-one offer for Friday and Saturday. Did you know that bananas are bad for monkeys? Did you know about all the pubs in the Houses of Parliament? Do you know how to make a curry in space? It's mind-blowing, but don't take our word for it. We've got a podcast that interviews zookeepers, politicians, astronauts, and everyone in between. And if you want hilarious stories and to learn about the weird and wonderful people of the world, then you should go and listen to our show, Things People Do, with me, Joe Marler. And me, Tom Fordyce. Search for Things People Do wherever you get your podcasts. Today's guest, Tom, is a British rider who had their breakthrough season in 2022. He finished top 10 in Tour Flanders, which I think seventh, he might correct me now, before getting lots of airtime in the Tour de France by getting himself in many breakaways, including second on stage 13. Then, if that wasn't enough, he went on to win a silver medal in the time trial of the Commie Games, beating me, the bastard, and obviously <laughs> having a great welter as well. So, to give him his full title welcome to the gtcc alfred brockwell wright is that right mate is that your full name yes that is my full name i didn't know we'd be uh we'd be getting that out so so early on but yes that is my <laughs> my full title <laughs> yeah. 
because uh, in our team, you're known as Fred Wrong or Fred Left. So, um, yeah, I thought we'd give you a proper name now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just before we go any further, Fred, um, the story about your middle name, a few of us, uh, well, people got to hear about this during the tour. So you are named, is this correct, after Brockwell Park in sort of Herne Hill, South London? Yeah, I I've, I don't think I've ever forgiven my parents for the for the middle name. I'm not going to lie. I think just because of the, the the endless jokes that I've had throughout my life of oh is that where is that where you were conceived? I think I don't <laughs> I don't think I've heard that one enough to be honest. That was my next question, actually. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. I thought I'd get in there first. It's a lovely, no, it's a lovely park. It's yeah, just right near where I live. Gee, if you had a middle name after your local park, what would that make you? Butte. <laughs> Heath? Uh, it, it'd be Heath. Heath would be uh, closer to me, yeah. Butte, especially when I was born, that was more, um, well, um, I don't know how to say this on our podcast, but... Uh, oh, it's an evening Actually, park. yeah, let's just move on. You, you just wouldn't want to be named after um, anywhere around there. There you go. <laughs> as, as I said in the, in the podcast, Fred, you had a great cracking year this year. You know, from a rider's point of view, like to perform in Flanders as you did. You were seventh, right? Were you seventh? Yeah great ride obviously you're only 23 turn pro in 2020 2020 so third year pro but to perform from flanders have a great tour as we mentioned commie games amazing that was probably like you rode out of your skin to win that silver medal did unbelievable there put some really good bike riders away (laughs) (laughs) well i I mean i think it it might have been i think it would have been bronze if you uh, hadn't crashed i think that first, that first well, yeah. <laughs> got to get around haven't you really but let's let's move on from that anyway we won't we won't talk about that for too much um and then yeah Walter as you did and then you went to the uh the uh the worlds as well so it's a big old year to perform performing consistently so uh chapeau for that because yeah I know how hard that is to do thank you very much no, it's been it's been a long it's been a long season I think especially you know, since the start of the tour, it felt like I just didn't didn't stop really. I like, I mean, I had a bit of a break after the tour, but you know, straight away at the end of the tour, it's like, oh, you're gonna go to the Vuelta. So it was kind of, you know, from then on, pretty pretty full gas. So I am very much enjoying my time in Greece, doing absolutely nothing. Did you see this year coming, Fred? Did you see? Could you feel it in the legs um, at the start of the year? I don't know about. I think the ball was rolling in the lead up to Flanders. I think I'd, you know, I did opening weekend. I kind of felt just that, you know, that first big race of the season, I almost felt like I was like, okay, wow, I'm a different, I've stepped up a level to what, where I was at last year. You know, I was there with Sonny and Mate in the, in the front group behind, behind Van Aert. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, pretty big race to be up there in. And then I kind of knew going into the classics after that, that it was going to be a different classic season to the season before where I was basically just, yeah, it kind of felt like a progression in that I was sort of learning from the classics I did the year before. You know, it was kind of different in 2020, you know, it was all in October, but I still did, did like get well with them and did Flanders for the first time and that. So it was, it felt like a, the right sort of going in the right direction from the year before, you know, I think because already last year I finished with nationals, which probably was the best legs I had the whole season. I didn't quite manage to beat Swifty, but I, that was you know, I kind of was going really well at the end of the season. So then I guess sort of carried it into into the classics after that. But yeah, there's something about Flanders. I think the way that we we were all staying in, a, the team did it really well. We were sort of staying in a house, all of us together. So it was sort of good atmosphere for two weeks in all the classics. And yeah, I kind of felt we'd see, you know, you see all the roads enough and you kind of learn them. But I kind of had a good feeling that Flanders was going to go well beforehand. But then even after, but then after that was a bit like, okay, well, I'm, Seventh in Flanders, that's I must be pretty good. <laughs> so it kind of gives you that confidence to sort of attack a bit more, maybe in the in the tour and stuff. Yeah, I was looking at what you raced this year actually before you came on, just to have a quick, you know, because I'm a professional guy, I do my homework before a podcast, and uh, <laughs> I had a look, and you did you did a lot of one day classics, and you? you did like the Panna, and then E3 Wavelgum, Dwarves Doors, Flanders, Amstel Roubaix. That's full on. That is like it's a it's a busy couple of weeks. Like for people that don't know, it's kind of like every Sunday, in it, a plus a midweek. You know, all these footballers are moan about playing like ninety minutes on a Saturday, then having to play Champions League on a Wednesday, and then 
playing again on Saturday or Sunday. It's the same thing, except you're racing for six hours. Yeah, it's a it's a full on couple of weeks, and I have to say, I'll have to sort of you know, it's it's all learning as well because you're kind of thinking of back Roubaix. I wasn't going; I was sort of going down. You know, like from Flanders was sort of the peak. Then Amstel, I was still going pretty well. Just had a bit of a mechanical, I seem to remember. And then Roubaix, I was starting to flag a little bit. So well, it's hard though, isn't it? Because because like when when you do Flanders, you still it's two weeks. Like this year, it was two weeks to to Roubaix. They they switched the program around, but. Yeah, it's hard to know how much to do in the week then, isn't it? Because you want to keep training, keep that fitness going, but at the same time, you don't want to be carry that fatigue from one race to the next. So, but um, I think you did all right, mate. It was it wasn't too bad, it wasn't too shabby. Like I'm very happy. <laughs> I'm already looking forward to the next well holiday first, but then looking forward to the next block of classics. That's what I was going to say. What do you prefer more? What do you enjoy more, like a Grand Tours or the classics? I don't know. I've kind of a, you've kind of got to separate them. Like they're so they're so different. It's such a different thing being being on a grand tour like i love I, I enjoy just the life of just being being on the road for for three weeks but actually the yeah there's something about the classics it's just the kind of kind of knowledge you have to acquire and the the planning and all the and just the racing itself it's so much you know six hours but it's so quick and it? it just you're focused like the whole time just thinking about yeah thinking about what the race you're doing i definitely prefer the class i think i prefer the classics was the tour particularly nuts this year, Fred? Because your the start of your pro career coincided with COVID, didn't it? So you had the you've basically begun your pro career in the empty roads era, and the no fans. And then you're doing the tour this year, and you're going up out Duez, um, where someone else in this podcast has, uh, I think, won a stage. Um, it must have been absolutely nuts going from the COVID era to the absolute chaos of out Duez. I think I think Abduez was my highlight of the whole the whole tour because I was you know in a in a groupetto riding up steady as as I you know steady as you can it's not still pretty hard but it's not you know you're not racing racing up so you can just take it all in some of them it's mental the amount of people I think that yeah as you sort of get almost get sort of goosebumps thinking about it like that was definitely the best that was the yeah the best bit of fan you know fans that I've ridden through yeah that I've ever that I've ever done. I think that was, that was my highlight of the, the tour, actually. But there's more, you know, there's more to come with that. That's that's what it should be like. But <laughs> you know, doing doing all the races in 2020, like like I did the Vuelta in 2020, and there was there was it was weird. There was just no one like on these on these mountains. So now it definitely makes a difference. It makes it easier, that's for sure. You know, in the tour, when you when you're riding for stages as you do, how do you find those days when you're like just getting from A to B as easy as possible, like? Is it hard to sort of sort of semi switch off and then switch on for the stages when you you're really going for? Because we've had Steve Cummins on the on the pod before talking about breakaways and like yeah, you've got to be super on it on those days where you, you have a chance for the break. But then when you when the breakaway, you know, like in Bahrain, did you have? I guess you still would have would have had like a decent job every day to do, but it's a it's a totally different mindset to to the way I tackle a grand tour obviously when you're trying to ride gc and stuff every day you kind of really have to be switched on and in the bunch finishes you know try not to lose time whereas you can just well yeah pick your days almost can't you so how do you find that like the the difference in the in the days yeah i think i think i noticed it more at the welter that that kind of that those a to b days i think something just about the the nature of the races you know when you're on these massive wide spanish roads and you just you're just riding I think it's those are like wow, this is so dull. Like, as a tour, there's always you know there's always this, it feels like there's more stuff going on day to day. But in our team, the like the first five days of the tour, for example, were up into that Rube stage. It was the, the plan of the team was all to just look after Jack, and he obviously crashed and was out after the Rube stage. So then that kind of freed up opportunities later on. But yeah, it's I think the Vuelta, I definitely you know definitely noticed it more just. Uh, but you kind of just have to have those days in the back of your mind. Like, okay, no, tomorrow or the day after is, this is when I'm going to go for it. I've just got to suffer. Because some guys, it depends how you want to do it. I think I learned a bit off of what Mads, what Pedersen was doing in the world, which I thought was quite good. Is he would always, he'd finish last or in the last group, but he'd always, he'd, he'd make it a target to like get over one of the mountains or still with the, say, say you've got three mountains to, to finish. He'd get over the first two and then go 
as slow, like as slow, slow as possible on the last one, and then and then come, you know, come last. But you get a bit. I think that way you get a bit of satisfaction, like oh, I've made it over this climb. Oh, I've made it over that climb, rather than just going in the group straight away. You kind of have so, you know, have that motivation to push yourself a little bit, and then it then it almost goes quicker as well. You know, when you're riding like threshold or a bit harder or whatever, the climb goes it goes by quicker. When you're just hacking away, it's not it's almost worse. Yeah, like some of those days, like I had in the Gruppetto, like oh. They're just so long and like mind-numbing, aren't they? And like, it's, it's bad really, but you'd look at the guys around you sometimes and you're like, oh my God, I'm why am I climbing with this guy? I'm not going to mention any names, but like you'd look around, you're like, oh Jesus, what am I doing with him? But so it's hard mentally a gruppetto all day. So yeah, that's definitely a good way to do it because then you keep the sort of the body going almost as well, don't you? Like it almost feels like a benefit for pushing as well early on. Yeah, you don't really, I guess you don't really switch off, but then you can, and you can then all, also enjoy the last climb. Well, not enjoy the last climb, but like, like in the world, the time cuts are so, so much bigger, I think, than the tour. In the tour, sometimes you're in a group, it's like, oh, okay, what's how you're working it out. But in the world, I, I don't ever remember being, even having to think about it. I think it's, they're actually pretty, bit more lenient. Did you get handed any beers? When I was like, first couple of years as a pro, like in the Gruppetto and stuff, there's so many times like when the Giro, and when I did the Volta actually in 15, but, and the tour, there's so many guys that would just hand up a beer to a few people. And I remember once somebody gave it to me, I was like, oh, and they hadn't opened it. And I was like, oh, well, how do you want me to drink this now? You know, like a proper bottle with the top on. I was like, well, I'd actually quite like to drink this at the finish, but I don't want to carry it all the way up. So Adam Hansen actually put it in his bottle cage for me. Did the last, oh, I don't know, 15k climb with it. Yeah, and at the finish line, he gave it back to me. I was like, oh, nice one, mate. So put that in the fridge, had it that evening. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> no, that's lovely. So none of that. A lot more professional group out of these days, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the same as it was. I think our team don't do them, but the Ineos slushy bottles, <laughs> the, the slushy bottles you guys have, I'd always like mm. shout, it, shout at the car when it comes past, go slushy, like try and get a slushy because... <laughs> they were they're pretty good so I must say on a, on a hot day in the water yeah they're a bit legendary now aren't they yeah they're kind of I'm pretty sure Luke Platt was just like handing them out to like any you know like it, you'd almost have to like reserve a bottle from him you know like, oh, can I can have one of the slushy ones when you get he's like okay yeah we're giving it out to other riders from other teams <laughs> <laughs> I hope he was charging Garrett just explain to those who aren't in the pro peloton what a slushy bottle is so obviously it started from maybe last year Definitely this year was a big thing, but obviously when in the super hot days in the tour or the Vuelta, basically slushies in, in these big sort of, um, what are those bottles? Like, well, they just keep the, they keep it cool inside. And um, so, yes, yeah, with, it has to have quite a bit of sugar to actually become this slushy type thing. So maybe it's, um, we call it a 40 or maybe 80 grams of carbs in the, in the bottle, plus sometimes a hydro tab, which gives it a bit of extra little fizz which is good. And um, yeah, so they're just basically slushies, as you would think, as you would buy from, I don't even know if they do it now, but back in the day, you know, when that machine that's just churning around and like you can yeah, choose blue the one. blue or the orange <laughs> one or, yeah, um, blue or red one, sorry. Yes, yeah, so when you, when you go, when you go to the cinema and you have a, yeah, when you go to the cinema and you have a Tango, Tango Ice Blast, that's, that's yeah, basically, basically that, but you're riding up a mountain, not watching some movie. Yeah, we should put the recipe, G, on our socials. If you can dig out, dig out the precise recipe for us, we'll stick it on our uh, our social <laughs> media feeds. Um, Fred, when you were getting in those breaks at the tour, because you were so visible to people watching from home, um, did you have an idea in your head what would feel like success? So when you finished second on, on stage 13 to Pedersen, uh, have you looked back on that and gone, that's amazing, I finished second on the stage in the tour? Or have you looked back and gone, I was so close to winning one. I think that that stage since then, I've definitely been like, okay, that that time I, that there was nothing. I, I don't think looking back on that, there was anything more I could have done. I know I needed to, there was a one sort of climb where Pedersen had attacked and it was just me and Hugo Hall that had followed him. And I knew I needed to attack him over the top. They were saying in the radio, like you've got to, you've got to hit him. You can't let it down to a sprint. But I just, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have the legs in that moment to do it. That was the only way I could have tried to to not make it a sprint. So easy from the car or the sofa. Oh, you got to go now. It's, look, he's tired. Go. <laughs> Why is he not going? But that's the thing. Like you, you, you can only do what 
what your legs kind of and I've since sort of spoken to Pedersen like oh I was like oh what and he was like yeah well I was never going to let you go if you'd attack then so it's like okay then what you know he was the first guy to attack on the climb he was the, you know he was the strongest there and actually that fight like that sprint I did against him you know I kind of thought okay maybe I can when it came to it, I was like okay maybe I can try and try and have him in a sprint but there was I did one of my best sprints I've done and I was I was just like <laughs> Way off his wheels. So. Oh, you can't complain then, though, eh? I asked him how many watts he did in the sprint, and he told me, and I was like, "Oh, then uh, there's there's no there's no beating that at the end of a end of a tour stage." So it's the it's the Vuelta stage seven that I definitely will depended on whether you know if I, how many stages or if I win a stages of Grand Tour. That one I will definitely regret because I definitely should have won that sprint. That's the that was the one where I was like, "Damn, I really." Mess that one up. <laughs> Somehow I think you'll have plenty of opportunities, mate. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure. I hope so. I hope so. That one in the tour is that when was Garner in there in that break? Yeah, yeah. He was there. There were some hitters in that. I remember. Oh, it, I think... was, it was the strong best group we could have had because Garner, Kung, and I think someone else were out the front already, and me, Mads, and his teammate joined them. And when you got Garner and Kung in a breakaway, like they're just so it's such a good pair to sort of sit behind and just yeah Garner's a bit too nice as well he needs to learn to just play the game a bit as well you know <laughs> I was like you should have told Fred left you just didn't have it mate just like sat on him a bit well that was the thing we kind of those days are sometimes quite good for the breakaway where it's well it's good for me in a breakaway when it's kind of not that certain that the break's going to make it you know like you still everyone has to keep pushing to get close to the line and then it ends up being a sprint because the break is just fighting, fighting, fighting to stay away. I think that's where that's where I can get. I'm sort of more likely to to win it. I reckon just because yeah, you're not you're not sort of fighting from 50k, following the right move from 50k out in a massive breakaway of 30. You're kind of if you're like sort of seven guys going, oh, are we going to make it? Are we not going to make it? It's almost, yeah. And then you do make it. It's normally a sprint, isn't it? So, I gotta say the best stage that you had in the tour for me was. Um, the one, the Laporte one, maybe stage 19 or 18. I can't remember when it was. Yeah, stage 19. Yeah, so it was like, oh, this is going to be a sprint, you know. It was basically like all these sprinters you thought were going to be there. Then suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, it's a bit of an uphill finish, but it should be good enough for Caleb and whoever, a couple of other sprinters. And it turns out like, well, it wasn't, was it? Like, I think, did La- was Laporte the first to go and you and Stoyven followed him? And it was dead last minute, one. It? it? was like proper bike racing, which was great. Me and Stoyven had attacked the bunch on like a climb that where the, that the sprinters teams were sort of controlling on because a few of the smaller teams had attacked. And so I basically kind of went over the top with Stoyven to one guy with about 10K like... 10K maybe or, or less. It was sort of like sort of 20, yeah, 50. Maybe, might have even been 20, but I think it was a bit of a descent. So it kind of, the gap sort of stayed the same for 5K without us having to really go for it. And then, and basically I think Laporte had come across to us he basically come across from a sort of attack from the bunch round one of the corners at the end. Again, there was no, ah, there was there was no beating him, but I, that was pretty, that was a pretty close one. Again, it's those those sort of days mm. where it's like, oh, maybe it's a sprint, maybe not. And you couldn't really plan it. It yeah. was always just like, it happens and you go, you know. Yeah. That's what that's what I miss sometimes with with our team because obviously we're, we always have a GC guy and it's always quite controlled and calculated. And sometimes you're just like, wow, just be nice to just go, you know when you feel it like that yeah I was I just find it was that was a really satisfying moment actually you know like I just remember I, I can remember the feeling in my head like okay this is this is a good opportunity and then when you do when you you know so many times you think oh this is a good opportunity you try something and you're like someone's following you or something doesn't happen but when you do it and you look around and you're like okay I've got a gap and I'm with Stoyven or whatever you're like that's yeah that's you can get a lot of a lot of satisfaction out of that and I think I've definitely got better this season at find, finding the right time with breakaways and stuff. I think in the vault where I was getting much better at just working out which is the which is the right time to go. But maybe that's just because I've got a bit stronger. I don't I don't know. I feel like if you're just suffering, it's sometimes difficult to decide when when you need to attack or whatever. Yeah, it's a mix of the both, isn't it? A bit more experience, but also you're stronger and just a clearer mind to actually be like, oh yeah, this is the time now, so... Mix of the both, probably, I'd say. Yeah, it's only because it's, it's only like maybe one percent or two percent that I've got stronger at 
legs wise, but that that two percent gives you a much clearer clearer brain, doesn't it? When you're you know going uphill or or whatever. Geraint, what's the chat in the pro peloton about Fred? So when Fred's lighting the race up at the tour, is there chat on the Ineos bus? Is there stuff going around your level when people are saying you've got to watch out for this kid? Yeah, definitely. I think. Um you know, obviously on our bus as well, there's a lot of Brits. So it's British team and we're obviously more aware of British guys. But I think, um, you know, especially from the, the Walter then, it was like really sort of cemented in, you know, that uh, you got to watch out when, you know, Fred Rong goes up the road, you know, you got to be on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but definitely um, respected, you know, every, everyone saw what he did in the classics and, as I said, to, to back it up then in the tour, be riding while there and then the Vuelta. So it's, um, yeah, great to see. Great to see him moving on. It's not, it's actually not a good thing though now. I, f- I feel like it's almost, because I didn't quite manage to get to win from those positions. I've now like, it's now like, oh, it's almost, I've, I've created that kind of thought in people's minds. And now, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure I'll be fine. But <laughs> it's almost, you almost want to be a bit more subtle about it. Like, oh, uh, who's this guy yeah yeah I know what you mean but then you can still play the game you can still pretend like you're suffering more than you are but just to go back a few a few steps a few years you started you came up on the academy right yeah and uh, how many years for two years and then you turned pro for Bahrain in 2020 after that yeah that's good that's good to see as well that's what I did as well two years and the 23 on the academy because uh, yeah, these days it feels like well we've signed two juniors this year like, there's a lot of, like, young guys turning pro straight away. It's mad, isn't it? Like, I think it's almost like the under-23 category is almost non-existent, really, you know? It's, like, it's mad. Because when you think about it as well, like, some kids, like, do their A-levels and stuff, and, you know, they'll be racing against guys that are fully pros and, you know, weighing out their pasta and have training camps in Malaga or whatever, you know, and they've got to go to school at 9 a.m. to do their maths, like, A-level. So it's not really a level playing field, that, and kind of feels like the cycling world's gone a bit nuts for, for young riders. Totally different subject, but yeah, I think it's a bit bonkers at the moment, isn't it? No, I, I, I think I, I blame I blame Remco a little bit. I think he was just so good. Oh, it's all his fault. Remco and Pogaccia. <laughs> it's, Remco is just, su- he's such an unbelievable talent that, yeah, it's almost, I think every, everyone's sort of, set, you know, everyone's kind of searching to be that so young, but it's almost, Maybe that was maybe he was just the one. He's just that generational super talent that's just come along. Yeah, there's not a, there's not a Remco every year. Like he was, he won the European Juniors by ten minutes. I saw the other day. I I looked it up. Ten minutes he won by the road race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like ten minutes is a long time. If you like, if you just sat down <laughs> yeah. and just pressed start on like a stopwatch for ten minutes, oh. that's that's a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Garrett, when you look at Fred's rise through the ranks. Is there are there things in there that make you uh, remember someone else's rise through the pro ranks? So there's the the track focus, there's moving to Manchester, there's being mentored by Rod Ellingworth, there's enjoying the classics, there's quite liking a, a TT. Sounds quite familiar to me. Yeah, now you put it that way, it does sound a bit like me. I hadn't thought about that really, but yeah, I think um, obviously, yeah, as I as I said, I, I came through the same sort of process as as Fred with you know the academy and then turning pro and stuff but um certainly on the road he's definitely got some results a lot quicker than I did like I did my first tour well you rode the Vuelta didn't you in 2020 your first year how did you find that you get through okay yeah but that was yeah it was 18 stages ah so yeah I remember not quite yeah yeah the full, full <laughs> shebang but I think it was great actually because I kind of we had we had wow Wout was up there on the GC, so it was kind of all the time sort of trying to help him as much as I could. And I think the rest of the team, we didn't have the strongest team, I must say. I think we were kind of, Wout was always sort of joking, sort of always joking afterwards about it. But I think it was nice to do that sort of with that experienced guy and sort of get through it. I had some pretty bad days just of, of suffering. But in the end, I think I kind of, that was a bit of a like, okay, I could sort of tell that I could get through it better than, almost better than I thought. Like, I think you you kind of get to a point after six days where you don't get much more. You're just tired. You don't get... I wasn't getting, like, catastrophically worse. I almost, you know, almost, you almost get to that level of fitness where you just... You can just keep... Yeah, keep yeah, along. that's true. Uh, the only problem so, was with me, my first yeah. Grand Tour, being the Tour in 2007. How old are you in 2007, by the way? 
When, when were you born? I'm looking forward to the expression on your face here, G. 99, so I was... <laughs> to your eight. <laughs> I was eight. <laughs> oh, holy moly. So, yeah. <laughs> That's mad. So, yeah. So, I was... Um, yeah, I was exactly that. I didn't get much worse, worse. But the problem was, I was already really bad that I was, like, out of... First one to get dropped on most stages. Even up a Cat 4 climb, I was, like, swinging. So, that tour was, like unbelievable for me i've never suffered like that again so i always just think about that and i'm kind of realize i'm not actually that tired but but yeah i guess going back to your original question tom that you asked about 10 minutes ago i think um it is a very it's a similar sort of um rise i guess or trajectory or whatever although yeah as i said fred's definitely a lot further ahead on the road at the moment so the world's his oyster though isn't it like it'd be great to see you perform in the classics i gotta lose about 30 kilos before I uh, start thinking about going for general classification in any race but yeah <laughs> yeah there's time for that though yeah. I don't think I think it's the best way you know you get to experience well unless you're Remco or Pogaccio you just win everything straight away but for us normal folk I think it's nice to sort of focus on the one days you know go on to like week races maybe even target grand tours later on but I think it's um, you get to experience everything as well you get to enjoy it enjoy life a bit as well you know and um yeah stick at it stick just do a bit of everything mate no i i've really I've, I've actually really enjoyed just the program i've had the past two years just i think if i can do that again for the next i don't know however long just doing the classics and then into the tour or into the world or whatever i think that's that's that, yeah like you said I've, I've just really enjoyed it i think i've there's not been because it's you're sort of folk it's like two different focuses for the year it's so it's almost you get that bit of a sort of refresh after the classics, and then you're. I think it's a it's a good way to split split the season like that. Actually, hundred percent, hundred percent. Has Rod given you some tough love in your time with the team, Fred? Because uh, on this podcast we've heard some excellent stories. Well, we had Rod on as a guest, but we've heard some excellent stories from Geraint about uh, how Rod uh, helps him in his younger years. The time, for example, you tell this story, G, but the time where you'd stacked it in a junior race and your hands were a mess and you thought, oh, that's it, I'm not racing today. And Rob was like, yeah, get on your bike, G. Yeah, it was under 23 race, actually, but it was, yeah, in France, in the Alps, and um, crashing the TTT, I was sat to the right of Cav, like overlapping him a bit, and he swung right. And um, apparently I was sat on the wrong side of the wheel, but I was like, well, I was hiding from the wind behind, like, Cav, who's pretty small. Like, I think I was sat on... The sheltered side I wouldn't have just been sat in the wind anyway Cav swung off overlapping the wheel I went down took all the skin off my my leg all the palms of my hands because I didn't wear gloves mitts when I was racing TTs so I definitely wear them every time now and um but yeah so I got up in the morning thinking oh yeah I can't start today I won't be able to even hold the bar so I had a bit of fruit and then saw Rod at breakfast he was like right time to get ready then I was thinking oh I'm gonna start then am I he's like yeah I might as well you're here so I was like oh shit okay but I have a bit of toast as well then on the way up. But yeah, I got through it somehow. Still managed, still finished ahead of all the other boys, I think. It was actually easier going uphill because I could didn't have the pressure on my hands where they were, all the skin was off. But going down was just like horrible. But yeah, we've had some definitely, we've had some good good days, bit of tough love from Rod. But like on my birthday when we all went out, well, apart from Ed and Cav didn't come out. It was when it, Liverpool won Champions League final, 2005 it must have been. And um, oh great night but don't really remember getting home and then Rod's quizzing us although he already knew the answers because Cav had rung him and dobbed us in <laughs> but anyway Rod's quizzing us about um, what time we got in and this and that so oh, I don't know watched the game went home about I don't know half ten turns out it was more like midnight but so then Rod was annoyed that we were lying to him and we were supposed to be doing this race in Wales Five Valleys legendary race classic it was it was probably the sixth monument in the world, to be honest, actually, after <laughs> Flanders, Roubaix and all that jazz. And uh, unfortunately, it's not going anymore, but... They should bring it back. They should, yeah. Maybe I'll organise it. That's what I'll do when I stop. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, we weren't allowed to go and do that then. We had to go out on a training ride with Brad, who had just done the Giro. And uh, they told him to just kick our heads in for six hours on the bike. So, But yeah, those are the academy days for us. But similar thing with you? Well, we... On the academy, we had Matt Bramier had sort of mm. sort of stepped in for that second year I was on the academy, and I think he he was there. I think was he there with on the academy with you? Yeah, under Rod, maybe. Yeah, 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 he was. I think he 
you know, tried to, I think he sort of found his own, he sort of found his own style now, but I think he did try to sort of emulate some of the, some of the things that you guys sort of had to go through. Cause I, the only, the one example I can think of is I, I'd crashed in a Kermess, the first lap of a Kermess. I went around this corner and I think the wind hit me or something. I was first wheel going, first man going around this corner. And I just, I wiped out, it was all cut up and everything. And I think after the Kermess, before we'd left, we hadn't like tidied the house that we were staying in in Belgium very well. And basically, Bramier wasn't, wasn't happy about the, the state of the house. And so we, we had to do a, a, like a punishment ride, which I think is something that maybe Rod had to, Rod gave you guys, I don't know. But it was basically like a training ride around this. We had to just go around this one loop in Belgium for five hours or something like that. And again, I didn't think I'd have to do it because I was all cut up. But <laughs> It was pissing with rain, and I was I was still there with everyone else going around this loop for five hours. I think that was yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> Did it work? Did you? Um, yeah, I think I think so. I don't know. We were all a bit like miffed that we had to do it, <laughs> but then also really happy when we got back. So I think Ethan Vernon actually had to go. He went home because he was just like, no, I don't want to do this. He was like, oh, I can't do this. I'm I'm just going to go home and and. He got back to the house and Bramie made him do the rest on the turbo. Oh, so. that's even worse. <laughs> that was quite funny. <laughs> Wouldn't have even had Zwift back then either. But I think days like that make it a, a lot of the other days seem easier, I'd say. It was, it's never, I'll, I'll be in any race and it will never be as bad as that, that, that five-hour ride. So those are some of the tales from G's time living in Manchester, Fred, with his fellow riders. You live in Manchester with one of Geraint's younger teammates, Ethan Hayter. So how is that relationship? Who's the tidy one? Who does the washing up? Who's the lazy one? Um, I think I moved in with him and Matt Walls as well at the start of the lockdown. So we had, which was actually quite cool. You know, we were going into lockdown, but there was sort of three of us all living in this house together. So it was a bit, good bit of a laugh to get through those first first few months of the lockdown. But I think he's... He's just like the, the slowest man. You, he's the, the, the fastest guy on a bike. And it's such a big, it's, what's the word? I don't know what the word is. It's such a big difference basically between how fast, how good and how fast he's on a bike and how slow he is with everything every else. Every other aspect yeah. of bike. <laughs> Apart from women, he's always having them back to the house, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, always, always, always. I think that's a good, that's a good way to sum him up. But to be honest, it's not been, I think I'm, I'm clean enough, you know, so I think he's, and to be honest, he's pretty, he'll just sort of forget about something because he, and he'll just be like, oh, no, 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 just forget about something that's uh, lying there rather than actually being, you know, rather than actually being messy or anything like that. It's just, it's just kind of, it's just being sort of very slow in just general, general life, I'd say. I don't think he'll be too disappointed with those, with those comments. No, I'd be fine, mate. He doesn't give a, he doesn't give a crap, <laughs> to be honest. It's true as well. You're not even exaggerating there. He is like, even within the team, you know, like, I don't know if you're leaving at 10 o'clock and he sees that it's five past, he won't, he won't get to the bus any quicker. He'll still be like, just, oh, oh, you know, one wandering through the hotel reception. Like, it's almost like he's stoned or something. He, he's obviously not, <laughs> but he's just sort of like, that, that surprised me at worst because Luke and Ben and the other, and, yeah, Luke and both Ben's were basically saying like, oh, how, that he's always like this. And I was like, oh, he's, he's also like that with the tit, you know, it's a bit of like, oh, he's, he doesn't change for, he hasn't changed, doesn't change for anyone. It's just, that's just yeah, the way he yeah. is. I thought maybe being on the team would have spared him up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, not, yeah, but he, like even loves like riding at the back, doesn't he? And like saving the watts almost like, and, you know, drifting back and then almost like, yeah, part of you is like, are you not moving up because you can't? You're like, you're a bit nervous or are you just that, chilled and that zoned out that you're just like ah, do it in like 5k man don't matter you know, <laughs> I don't know. but that's ethan super chill i don't know i i wonder what because he's really he's really smart so i wonder if there is maybe he has got he's doing something that yeah yeah i don't know don't know what goes through it goes through his head sometimes are you still living in manchester now or are you so we, yeah so we work we have been living together for the past sort of two almost three years i guess now but i'm He's moving out and I'm also moving out, but I'm going to stay in Manchester is the plan for now. Stay living in the UK. Because I still think I might do a bit of, I might do a bit of track over the winter sort of training. And because, yeah, I haven't kind of keen to just do that a little bit. Keep myself fast. Yeah, it makes sense. Brave man. 
keeps you keeps you tough living in the UK. I've definitely got soft after moving. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah, I can't be going soft while I, I've still got the classics to yeah. do. I think got to be. I think I've got. You know, like when it starts raining, I feel like I don't go as like I don't get any worse, which almost makes it feel like you get better than other because other people sort of tend to mentally crack a bit. Yeah, mentally crack and not be able to push as hard or whatever. Whereas I feel like I just pretty much stay the same. So that kind of it almost feels like you're going better because everyone else is is going worse, sort of thing. So I, maybe I'll try and hold on to that. I don't know. I don't know if there is anything in that. Maybe I'm just stupid. <laughs> there seems to be a massive element of enjoyment for you, Fred, in everything you do. It doesn't seem you clearly is a job now. You're a pro rider, but it doesn't ever seem to be onerous to you. You seem to enjoy all the the fun things in cycling, but also the the things that are more testing, the the painful days, the tough days. Yeah, I think I think that's one. That's my probably one of my best traits. I just always will get it done. I think I'll always. I almost need people to tell me. Well, why you why you going out and doing that ride and that those could you know like just just go on the turbo just have a day off sort of thing. I think I almost sometimes can overdo it, so it's good. But I've so, you know I've got that group around me now that would I'm like my girlfriend or whatever would just be like what what are you doing? <laughs> Chill out a little bit. And I'm getting better as well at just finding that that balance because I think I've sort of realised that almost I think a lot of guys I think train train too much maybe. I don't know. With the way I kind of want to re- keep racing and the races I want to keep doing, I almost, you know, I've sort of enjoyed. I think you really have to do it, have to enjoy those days off and just do nothing and, yeah, make the most of the time you have off. Cause then, cause I've had to do that this year, you know, with all the going from race to race. I've really had to just every time I've got day off, just do really do that day off properly. Or like, you know, even that recovery ride. So I just, just sack it off, have a day off. You don't need to bother riding your bike easy for an hour and a half just do nothing <laughs> yeah that's one thing i learned actually like this year you know then this is my 16th year pro and still like realizing like last year for instance like and 2020 just didn't rest enough it's crucial you know you do all the hard work in the training but you gotta make sure you have those easy days as well like because looking back like this year i've had a lot more days off a lot less volume and just more intensity and then suddenly they just makes a big difference doesn't it so i think it's uh yeah at least you've realized that now not when you're 36 like me but and when you say about training at the right times and stuff i remember when it was snowing once on the academy we were in manchester and uh rod texas oh don't worry about going out today boys and we were like oh we're already done an hour in the we're sat in starbucks now debating whether we need to carry on the ride so that was a nice uh you know just to show we were, we were keen to rod like he thought he'd text us tell us not to go out and we were like ah already done it mate already out because that was a tick in the uh oh what'd you call it there was some brownie points that was no i think i did i in lockdown i think i did i just i trained maybe just a bit too much in 2020 like i was just like by the time we got round to racing because it was such a long period of time i ended up i was actually probably just a bit maybe a little bit flat i don't know i think it i the thing is it's hard at the moment because i'm kind of getting better each you know each year i'm sort of stepping up so there's going to come a time where you kind of dip and you know your form's not going to keep just getting better so who knows what's you know you, i'm not just going to keep getting better each year so like, it's not gonna it's not how it works is it? yeah i did some of my best uh i did my best 20 minute power this year mate so well and one minute and five minute oh, so wow. yeah. well, there you go <laughs> you got 13 more years of improvement oh then then i'm then i'm good then I, then, I, <laughs> then i'm good if you but if it if it's but yeah I won one what each year, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the Vuelta this year, Fred. So it, it was another pretty crazy three weeks, wasn't it? You had the, what, you came top 10 in seven different stages. You had those three top threes. But inevitably, we come to stage 16. There's you and there's Primoz Roglic and there's Pedersen, Danny Van Poppel and Pascal Ackerman. You're all fighting for the win. Roglic is second on GC. So give us the official Fred Wright version of what happens next. Man, I I was just trying to sprint for a good result, I think. I don't think I... I Initially, basically, I was... Roglic had attacked and did the last 3K on the front. And we were all just like, on the wheel, just like, oh my God, <laughs> get us to this sprint. And I think I think everyone sort of knew how that was going to play out. You know, he, he was going for the GC, so he was riding on the front. 
he was eventually going to, we were all going to eventually going to pass him and do a sprint and see who wins the stage. And I just think I, I was last wheel as he was had swung off and was coming back in the line. And his, he was, I guess we are, this has been recorded me filming this. He was sort of coming back at a diagonal and I was still in the line and he, he basically came at a diagonal into, into me. And we, there was a small bit of a connection there and unfortunately he crashed, but I, I don't think I, yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's what happened. I mean, after the stage, I almost was a bit like, oh, I should have, I was annoyed with myself because I knew that I, you know, him coming back at a diagonal and kind of, he basically blocked me in so I couldn't come out. And I was almost a bit like, damn, I should have, I should have gone out earlier and tried to, because I, maybe I could have got, I felt like I could have got second or third in that stage if, if there wasn't that little pause in the sprint of him coming back into me that stopped me from sort of going around Van Poppel or Ackerman. But yeah, again, if I'd had done that though, and, and come out on the outside of Van Poppel's wheel and not stayed where I was, it would, <laughs> and, th- and knocked him off then, then it would have lo- looked, you know, that would have been awful. <laughs> I think then I would have really been, you know, people would have been like, what are you, what are you doing? But I think, yeah. It's just like, it's just a race incident, like we're just real unfortunate, but obviously I think it got blown out of proportion then and obviously wasn't handled the best by Jumbo, like releasing a statement later and all that jazz that happened, which just seemed pointless really. Like, yeah, it was a bit weird that, but it was like similar things happened to me though. Like even on Alpe d'Huez this year, we were only sprinting for fifth maybe. It was like Pogaccia, Vingegaard, me. And I came into it proper wide. I took a bit more speed than them pair. And it was a bit of a headwind up last 350 metres. And uh, Pogaccia moved over to the left. And I had this nice little run straight up into him in the slipstream. And could uh, felt like I could go past. But then Vingegaard following him, exactly the same thing really. Just diagonally across and just come straight into me. Like I ended up just breaking because... You know, we're sprinting for fifth. It, like, if it had been for the win, it would have been a bit different. But like I, I braked, he chopped me and then like I was just like, oh, cheers, mate. But they're just like racing incidents basically. But, you know, I could have held my line there and took Vingegaard down. It could have been a completely different story in the tour, you know. So, yeah, they could have been, Jumbo could have been all after me anyway. So maybe I should have done that, took, took the heat off you. <laughs> I think it was... <laughs> I think it was just unlucky to be honest that his you know like the way I was if you when you're sprinting I was like the position of my elbow as I was sort of sprinting and what the way he was coming back obviously caught him off balance and that just that threw him off I think you know if it was a it, it, it could have been completely different but yeah it was it was just a bit weird the, the way they handled it and then I think everything after that was kind of there's quite a lot going on <laughs> you know on my you know on Twitter and everything it's, it was kind of it was a weird bit of a weird time like a lot of the messages were like of support but yeah it was an odd one I must say I'm quite glad that now I can sort of look back at, at it and just sort of almost laugh about the whole thing and all the all the memes and stuff that were created because there were some good memes actually of people saying it was my fault and stuff <laughs> there were some excellent memes weren't there it just from the outside it seemed unlucky not only because of what happens with the actual, actual incident but also the way that the, the battle for GC is going, because if it's not Roglic who's coming back, it's not the same level of incident. If it's not the bloke who's won three welters in a row going for his fourth welter, if it's not that day when he's starting to charge a bit, do you know what I mean? It was just, there was a confluence of all these super unlucky things that ended up making it a much bigger deal, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely knew at the time, I was like, oh, oh I really Uh-oh. I really hope this, this, <laughs> this doesn't look, look bad for me. You know, I was like, oh no, he's crashed. And it was my contact with him that not caused him to crash. But no, I think immediately after, you know, after a few days, it was quite clear that I had people supporting my side of the story, even after they they'd published that that article, which was which was nice. At least you'd be well known in um, Holland now, Holland and Slovenia. At least well, people yeah. know you, even if they're not into like cycling so much. You're a massive name, yeah. endorsement deals <laughs> with, I don't know, like... <laughs> some, of his, some of his teammates and stuff were still coming up to me sort of joking at, at the Worlds, like sort of saying, oh, it's your fault in a sort of jokey way. So I thought that was that was quite nice. I think it's not, it's in a nice... It's in a good position now. It's almost like, yeah, it's just become a joke. Well, Geraint, you don't live a million miles away from Roglic, do you? So maybe you can, next time you see him out, I know that his son and your son Max like having little bike races on their balance bikes. So next time you you see him out in Monaco, maybe you can just have a little word on Fred's behalf. 
Well, Max is on a proper pedal bike now as well. So they're both on pedal bikes. They'll just, both be crashing just, each other just for sure. Just tell Max, tell him to watch out that he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, doesn't Primo says he's going to come on as well at some point. So, um, yeah. Not that we're going to make a big deal out of this, but yeah. <laughs> no, no. That's not the type of podcast we are, are we? Tom, we're not the Daily Mail version of the podcast world. No, very much. Very much not, no. We're all friends on this podcast. But um, I think that wraps it up No, Tom. I think we've kept Fred Fred left long enough. But thanks for coming, mate. We appreciate it, you know, over there in, in Greece and stuff. So we'll leave you to your holiday and enjoy the sun before you go back to sunny Manchester. Oh, I definitely will. I will. Well, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, mate. No, cheers, guys. It was good fun. Tom, we've got a new sponsor for season three and I think we're all going to benefit from this one. Yeah, we know how much you all love coffee, especially on a bike ride. So we've only gone and partnered up with Origin Coffee. Not only that, but we've got you a very chunky discount too. Not a bad start to the season from our chairperson. Yeah, gee, I'm on it from the word go, you know that. A little bit about Origin Coffee then. So they're pioneers in sourcing and roasting some of the highest quality specialty coffee on the market today. In fact, they launch a new coffee every week. Right, so how are we getting our hands on this to taste then, G? Well, I've already done that for you. I've tried Resolute. I would describe it as chocolate, stone fruit, bit of caramel. Have you just read that off the label? Yeah, but I did choose it because it's no nonsense. It's just a classic proper coffee, you know? If you want to try Origin Coffee, just like G, you can get 30% off all coffee and pods by going to origincoffee.co.uk and using the code GTCC30 at checkout. All online orders are roasted and shipped the same day and they have a rewards program so customers can earn points and get cash back every time they shop online. That's code GTCC30 at checkout. Go and get yours today. Enjoy. Tom, Zwift are back for their third season sponsoring the GTCC. Which means our Wednesday 6pm group rides continue. Exactly. Just hop on your trainer, open up the Zwift app and join the group ride. You get to ride alongside us, all our club members and wear the in-game GTCC jersey. And if you're new to Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial today. During this season of the pod, we're going to be walking you through all the new stuff we've been trying out on the app. Just think of us as your testing team. So Chairman Tom, what have you been trying this week? This week, G, I've had a go with Hollow Replay. Now this is basically a mirror of yourself. So when you set a PB over any time segment, Hollow Replay will play back this best effort when you attempt it again. You know what this sounds like, Tom? Mario Kart Ghost Mode. Yeah, it is exactly that. So the ghost of you is riding alongside. So you can race it and hopefully beat your all-time record. Right, so let's say, for example, you want to go sub 60 minutes on Outdo Zwift. Hollow Replay plays the exact effort you put in alongside you. So if you blew up in the last kilometre, you know you need to go a little bit slower and keep something back for the finish. You are literally racing yourself. Or why not set a record on a volcano lap and then use Hollow Replay to try and beat it? Right, Zwifters, give it a go and get in touch when you smash those PBs. Right, Tom, now it's time for any of the business. And I hear there's been quite a lot of people getting in touch about forfeits. Yeah, gee, they have indeed. Tim says, I thought maybe the triathlon or swim as a forfeit. He also says, if you ever want an event organiser, I event organiser Dave B's 50th birthday. We're old school friends. Did you go to that birthday? Did you get an invite for that? I didn't, no. What's what's happening there, Tim? I must have got lost in the old post or something, eh? But, um... (laughs) Thoughts on the triathlon (laughs) swim? Yeah, well, that's something that um, I was thinking, actually, that we could maybe do. Um, Can you swim? Yeah, but you can swim too, can't you? Because I thought this would favour me. But then you revealed as sneakily that as a teenager, you were actually quite decent. Yeah, uh, not even teenager, to be honest. I think I stopped a bit even before that. But yeah, I got my 2000 metre badge. Did you? Proud owner of that. Yeah. Is it yeah. still on your trunks? <laughs> yeah. It's funny that, isn't it? I was, this, mum used to sew them onto your trunks for you. 
the trick was not to do a sort of not to get her to sew the ten meter badge when you were going to get the twenty five meter badge the next day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that was a proud moment. I was a bit dizzy getting out of there. I was just up and down for so long. But... What do you think we do? Are we going over distance or are we doing speed over a shorter distance? Yeah, I think yeah, we don't want to be swimming for an hour, do we? <laughs> <laughs> but though I think that would lend, I would be that would give me an advantage for sure. But we don't want anyone drowning now, do we? Okay, so next time I come out and see you in the south of France, we shall do this in the icy waters of the Mediterranean because where we recorded one of our podcasts to come out later in this series, there's a lovely beach and there were people swimming off that beach um, as we had our morning coffee. So should we do it there? Lap of the harbour? Sounds a plan, yeah. yeah. Well, are there any others? Well, here is one from Hilson Lars Martin, who's also got in touch with an idea. He says, my tip for the last challenge between G and Tom is, oh, nice, a cross-country ski trip up here in Norway. I recommend you do the race in the evening with moonlight, maybe northern lights and reindeers. He <laughs> says, tell me if you want me to fix you up with the skis, a cabin and a race master. Me, he says. I have a cabin up in the Norway mountains. Uh, I think this will be pronounced... Biefjell, but I could be wrong. And he says we could do it as a base. That sounds amazing. That does, although I'm not sure I'd get permission to do that just yet when I'm still supposed to be racing my bike because 100% I'm getting injured doing that, aren't I? True. Okay, well, we, we should leave that to your time at Hilson. If we can definitely take you up on that offer at some point, that would be great. It would, yeah. Well up for that. And we'll have to find out what it's actually called as well, Tom, before we leave. How did you say it? Biefjell. B L E F. J-E-double-L. What are you going for? Oh, blimey, Charlie. Blifford? Uh, <laughs> That's how they speak, isn't it? Blifford? That, that makes Hello. it sound like it's in North but, Wales. But, well, they speak like they're sort of cutting off their words like halfway through, don't they? Norwegians. What's the weather like today? That just sounds like a Welshman doing a bad impression of a Welshman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm no good at accents, but anyway, yeah. Uh, moving on. Shout out to Ruth Rod. Our club baker, who made those very nice Welsh cakes a while back. Well, Tom, she's been baking again, and this time she's made Halloween Welsh cakes. So they're slightly spiced, in a good way, and made into pumpkin and ghost shapes. Yeah, that's a great shout, Ruth. And while we are on the subject of nutrition, we do want to know if anyone has a go at the Ineos slushy recipe. We will stick that recipe on all the usual social places. If you give it a crack, send us your pics on the Facebook group. In fact, Tom, we got a little challenge for anyone that's attended any in-person GTCC group rides and that's to make your own, even though it's winter. But, you know, maybe you won't even have to ice it up. It'll just be frozen by the time you get back from your ride anyway. But yeah, that's a challenge. I like it. And finally this week, if you would like another podcast to listen to while you're out on the bike, why not try Beef's Golf Club. This is with European Tour winner Beef Johnson and the podcaster Supreme John Robbins telling you all the things you always wanted to know about the world of golf. It's a little bit like this podcast is for cycling but for golf. Give it a go. We hope you enjoyed this one and we'll see you next week. Ciao, ciao. That was the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Heads of Music Emma Hickman and Frank Beecher, Head of Social, Archie Biltcliffe, and our Honorary President, Mike Carr. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.